right? In the, the Levitical line of priests, the, there was this expressed requirement that the priest understood because he himself had to sacrifice for his own sins. And yet this high priest, Jesus, did battle with sin and never fell. He is the high priest who knows what it is to battle temptation, to know what it is to battle sin, and yet conquer it on our behalf. The writer of the Hebrews also says that, explains that Jesus is this high priest because he has to be chosen by God from among the people. This high priest must be appointed to his office. And the writer demonstrates that Jesus meets these requirements. He cites Psalm 110 and Psalm 2. First Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. In Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This he shows us is that God the Father has appointed him as this priest. He's established Jesus in his priestly office by divine appointment. Jesus also finally meets the requirement of sympathy with those he represents. He did not sin and did not need to sacrifice for his own sins, but he was tempted more severely than any human has ever been tempted. He was tempted more severely, and only the one who resisted to the end knows the full weight of any temptation. Right, Jesus resisted to the very end. As one commentator said, the temptation that Jesus experienced day in and day out was something that we will never know because Jesus had all the power of heaven and earth to give in to those temptations to use that power to fulfill those temptations. And yet, he is without sin. He is a priest unlike any other. To speak as a priest in the order of Melchizedek was to speak first of a priest who was also a king but Melchizedek was not in the Levitical line of priests. He was not in that line of priests from Aaron on down that God had instituted in the wilderness. But he was one who was appointed by God, as we read in Genesis. He was not descended from the Jewish priesthood. He was a priest of God, directly appointed by God himself. So that is the criteria that 
the writer gives us for Jesus being our great high priest. And here is his work, verses 7 through 10. The work of Christ is his complete atonement. His complete atonement is often referred to as the work of Christ. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ is the complete work of Christ that he both fulfilled the law in its fullness and also atoned for our sin by giving his life as a sinless sacrifice. And in this work, we read, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The author speaks that Jesus faced all kinds of temptation and emotional misery which sin produces. It's shame, it's guilt, despair. He was oppressed by a sense of hopelessness, total discouragement, and utter defeat. Jesus anticipates the moment on the cross when he would be forsaken of the Father since he'd be bearing the sin of the world as though it was his own. As one commentator put it, the very thought of what is ahead for Jesus, particularly as we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very thought of it crushed his heart as in a wine press. No one, no matter the sin that you have carried or I have carried, no one on earth has ever felt the stain and shame of sin as he did. He understood exactly what we experience yet to degrees beyond what we can even imagine. He went the full way and took the full brunt. And Jesus obeyed, not only in order to honor God, but also to help us to help us to see what obedience is. And in his exposition of this passage, Calvin says, he did this for our benefit, to give us the instance and the pattern of his own submission. If we want the obedience of Christ to be an advantage to us, Jesus shows us. We must copy it. What is Calvin getting at here? I think it's, he's getting at that we live in this impatient society when the idea of humble submission, of patient waiting, and steady perseverance does not appeal to any of us. Of course it doesn't appeal to us. Humble submission, patient waiting, and steady perseverance does not have that great of an appeal. And yet, all of Jesus' life was given to it. 
he strongly resisted the temptation to have his obedience affected in a spectacular and supernatural moment. He resolutely pursued the will and purpose of God. He knew that it could not be achieved in a magical minute. Brothers and sisters, the writer to Hebrews this morning, in these words, wherever you are at is providing hope. It's providing a way through. He is reminding us to look to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, to hold fast to Jesus as he carries us through. To live in that humble submission, submission, that patient waiting and steady perseverance. It does not happen in a magical minute but it does produce something quite magical. It produces new life, new hope, a new sense of being, and ultimately the new heavens and the new earth. It allows us as believers in Jesus, though literally like Adam and Eve, naked before God, no need to hide. For we have an advocate before the Father who covers our shame, who covers our guilt by taking off his clothes of righteousness and putting them on us. Now we can, the words, the verse, chapter 4, verse 16, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Right? That is the point of Jesus as our high priest, that we approach the throne of grace with confidence, that we receive the mercy of God, the throne of grace to which we come for help is pictured by the mercy seat in the, old in the old tabernacle. That mercy seat where God would meet with sinful humans because of the blood of sacrifice, the sacrifices sprinkled upon it, is the throne of power in the universe from which grace constantly flows like a river to needy people. Mercy is the remission of deserved judgment while grace is undeserved blessing. Both are given to you and to me in Christ Jesus, our great high priest. Both are available to us in Christ 
that we may come in confidence to our Heavenly Father. And when the writer says that we draw near, it doesn't mean that we draw near as close as we can possibly imagine that we might be able to get. But it's we draw near in the sense of our Father says, come here, come to me, closer, closer, closer. Now climb up into my lap. Get up on the throne and come near. We are loved as his children and cherished as his sons and daughters. We are the recipients of the great salvation won by the blood of our great high priest. Approach the throne of your heavenly father with confidence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for our great high priest, Jesus, for his work on our behalf. Lord, for the way in which you call us to draw near, to come to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that each one of us this morning, by your word, through your Holy Spirit, would be drawn even closer this day, nearer to the throne of grace, that your mercy would be known, that your grace might flow in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.